0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times, you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has
1: all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's
0: up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. Coming up in just a bit, the Gwendolyn Brooks Youth Poetry Awards celebrates K-12 through students across the state.
1: Mama still loves you. When you're in town, she bathes every day and puts on a wig and lipstick to pull your face down and smother you with her freshly baked kisses.
0: But first, would it shock you if you found out one of the biggest gambling interests in Illinois is run by a former state senator? Would you be surprised if the company's biggest moneymaker was in a truck stop that's not anywhere near an interstate or even big enough for trucks to actually park? Well, ProPublica Illinois has uncovered those facts and more when it comes to taproom gaming out of Waukegan. Taproom sees Governor Pritzker's recent gambling expansion bills as an opportunity to do some expanding of their own. But ProPublica's Jason Grotto says some in and around Waukegan are concerned that there's too much gambling already and that loopholes are being exploited.
2: There are some members of the city council and certainly people in the community who think that uh, video gambling has grown too much in the town, and there's been some efforts uh, by some members of the council to figure out how to rein it in. And one interesting thing is they're having a trouble trying to figure out how to strike the right balance of how many machines is too many, how many locations are too many.
0: And part of the concentration in Waukegan is, is based around these truck stop video gambling establishment. And mm-hmm. and that's a little tricky because of how the law is written and how vague it is around what actually qualifies as a truck stop, right?
2: That's correct. So actually, there, there's only one truck stop in Waukegan, but it is the most lucrative. They bring in about 100000 The truck stop is the Thornton's on Green Bay Road, and Grand brings in about more than $100,000 a month. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a major uh, destination for video gambling players. And the reason is truck stops are the only video gambling location that are not required to hold a pouring liquor license, so every other establishment a vFw a, you know a restaurant a bar they have to be able to pour alcohol there to have video gambling machines, but the legislation says you, truck stops don 't have to do that that allows them to be open twenty four hours a day uh, because the liquor license doesn 't have a mandatory close time, so that 's why the top ten video gambling locations in the state, they're all truck stops. Now there's an issue with the way the law is written. It's very vague, like a lot of the video gaming uh, law. And basically what it says is if you can—if you pump 10,000 gallons of diesel fuel, I'm not sure who's keeping track of that, but, um, and if you sit on three acres of land, uh, you can be qualified as a truck stop. Now, what we found at the Thorntons is it actually sits on 1.6 acres of land. Um, It would be uh, very difficult for a tractor-trailer to pull in and actually get gas. No tractor-trailers park there. It doesn't have the amenities that most drivers want, like a sit-down restaurant to take a break from the road. It's actually five miles from the nearest interstate. Um, There's no place for a truck to park. But what they did is they leased uh, two parcels of land behind the gas station that are just vacant grass-covered lots. Um, and then applied for the license and used that to qualify as the three acres. And this is an issue that the gaming board has struggled with since this law went into effect. There was an effort by the gaming board and some legislators to tighten up the rules. And in fact, when the massive gambling expansion bill uh, moved out of committee in the House um, just in uh, May— it had tighter restrictions that would have disqualified the Thorntons and many other places. But right before it went to the House floor on a Saturday after the legislation official session was over, there was a floor amendment, what they call a floor amendment, that just changed it. So it had bypassed committee and went through the House, then it passed the Senate the next day uh, pretty, pretty easily. And so this provision was, was pulled out at the last minute. That's allowed the Thorntons to continue. Now, the interesting thing, and what we bring up in the story, is that Mr. Hochberg, who's a owner of Taproom, also owned the land where the Thorntons was, um, You know, bought it in 2015 for about $2 million, ended up selling it for almost five, more than five, not many years later. And he was able to Pull all of that land together for the Thorntons to qualify for the truck stop.
0: Talk about some of the, the legal and ethical um, concerns as you were doing your reporting, what you found.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, for, for some members of the city council, I think it was a real problem. They had just um, uh, passed a moratorium on more video gambling locations. And the Thorntons got in two days before there were three days before the moratorium went into effect. So I think some were surprised. Um, and then there's the issue of it just being open 24 hours a day and people going there all the time when the bars close. Um, and, and so I just think there's, you know, a real debate going on, not just in Waukegan, in, in communities across the state about how much is too much. Uh, you know, how, how should these things be regulated? And then just the fact that it's not a truck stop. Senator uh, Terry Link, who represents Lake County and was one of the architects of the gaming bill in our story, even said, you know, that's no more of a truck stop than I am and said that the legislature would would potentially uh, go back and look at this issue. Mm
0: -hmm. You found that there was a flow of money that began to enter Waukegan
2: politics um, Mm -hmm. from
0: the tap room. Outline a little bit of what
2: you found. What we found was that starting in in March 2017, there was a there was a mayor's race going on in Waukegan, and it was a very tight race. There was a um, a Democratic candidate, uh, Sam Cunningham, uh, who had been you know involved in politics up in Waukegan for many many years, and a sort of newcomer, an independent candidate named Lisa May, who had been on the city council. And was running for mayor, and it was the waning days of of the campaign. Literally three weeks left, and suddenly, tens of thousands of dollars start pouring into the campaign from a new newly created pack called Video Gaming United. And this was a pack started by um, a Mr. Bond, and Taproom Gaming uh, funded this this pack. It started pouring money. Uh, that was diverted through uh, the Waukegan Democratic Organization PAC. Now, that was run by the vice chairman of the Lake County uh, Democratic Party, uh, Pete Koval, who has since passed away. We have records from the gaming board, was also a contract employee for Taproom. And so the money went from the Waukegan Democratic, from, from Video Gaming United to the Waukegan Democratic organization to and then you know paid for flyers and whatnot for for mayor cunningham and those flyers painted uh miss may as as a republican when in fact she was an independent you know there were flyers with her next to donald trump and and you know it's a Democratic stronghold up there, so uh, it it got a little nasty.
0: There were also four other city council candidates uh, who ultimately won and who were backed by the same pack.
2: That's right. So so the mayor's race was in 2017. Mayor Cunningham won. A few months after that, uh, uh, Mr. Hochberg's company purchased land where they want to put a casino. Two years later, the aldermanic elections up there, so they alternate, and um, yeah, about two hundred thousand dollars in in video gambling money poured into these elections, which usually, based on my reporting, cost between five and ten thousand dollars normally. So literally, you know, one video gambling company, you know, put in enough money to basically bankroll the entire slate of candidates. Uh, they backed six of the nine. Uh, that were running. And, um, you know, in one ward alone, they spent over $70,000, you know, including commercials, which usually aren't done in these races, to try to, you know, get people into the uh, city council who are sympathetic to their interests.
0: Well, and in June, at the end of this year's legislative session, uh, Governor Pritzker signed a massive gambling expansion bill that included six new can- casinos, including one in Waukingen. And the owners of Taproom Room one in on that action. So what are we starting to see from Waukegan officials, from the mayor through the city council?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, one thing that's happened first is that they, you know, there have been some movements afoot to roll back some of the restrictions on video gambling. So that's one kind of bucket. And then the other bucket is the casino opinions differ about how much money this casino is really going to bring in just in terms of flat revenue. What we know based on the legislation is that the city of Waukegan is only going to get 3.5% of whatever money they bring in. We're, what I'm hearing right now is it's not going to be a very large casino with like a resort and everything attached to it. It'll probably be somewhat smaller. Um, so there's a real question about how much money they're going to bring in. And even if they do bring in, say, 100000000 million, $150 million, they're only going to get 3.5% of that. As opposed to Chicago, which has a lot more clout down in Springfield, they're going to get a third. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, Waukegan is a town that, you know, like a lot of other places around the state, is hurting. They have really high pension liabilities that are on un- Funded. They ran a $3.7 million deficit uh, last year, and they really need the help. And one of the issues uh, with these gambling expansions is the money is being pledged to pay bonds for capital programs. And so this is basically a tax- that the state is mainly benefiting from. And local governments, which really need help, are not benefiting as much. So in in some ways, you know, it's it's taking money from local governments and giving it to the state to fund these capital programs.
0: Um, At the same time, and you've been investigating this issue for a while, um, in January, a, a ProPublica Illinois WBEZ investigation found that video gambling had failed to generate the revenue state officials were hoping for. So just place this... Um, story about Waukegan within that larger context.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's really important. I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, one of the things that we've learned from the video gambling experience. Is that the revenues don't come in right away it, it takes time to build these things up, and so yeah, in two thousand and nine, uh, the video gaming act was passed, and um, the state started borrowing almost immediately you know within the first year, a couple of years they had borrowed billions of dollars, but the revenues from video gambling took a decade, and so there is a concern among people who look at these things that's going to be an issue
0: but even outside of the the financial side of things. There's also concern about the social impact exactly. of this expansion of gambling. What is Waukegan saying?
2: You know, we've gotten a lot of letters from people who are struggling up there with gambling addiction. And, you know, just to go back to the video gaming law, no extra money really was set aside to, to tackle that issue. To their credit, the legislature and, and Governor Pritzker really je- increased the amount of, of money going to gambling addiction. They, they, they went from about 1500000 million, don't quote me on that, somewhere around there, to well over six million, and they're actually going to do a, a study to see like how how prevalent gambling addiction is. So that that's one issue. Will it be enough? I think that's you know if you go to St. Louis, if you go to Detroit, some of these places with a lot of casinos, there's billboards about gambling addiction. There's got to be a lot more awareness uh, out there, and that all costs money. And in addition to the social costs, um, there's regulatory costs. So those aren't being covered now. Again, to their credit, they did give the gaming board more resources. They're still pretty. Un- from what I understand, um, and they have a lot of work to do. They have lots of rules to write um, for sports wagering, all of these casinos, more video gambling, and, um, you know, we're just going to have to see how this all shakes out. It's going to take some time, I believe.
0: That's ProPublica Illinois reporter Jason Grotto. You can find his story at ProPublica.org slash Illinois. Jason, thanks. Such a pleasure. This weekend, Illinois Humanities and the Poetry Foundation hosted the 2019 Gwendolyn Brooks Youth Poetry Awards. It recognizes the work of K-12 students across the city and state. The awards honor the legacy of Illinois Poet Laureate and Pulitzer Prize winning poet Gwendolyn Brooks. 260 students from 43 cities and towns across Illinois put in submissions. Gabrielle Lyon is the Executive Director of Illinois Humanities and Nora Brooks Blakely is Gwendolyn Brooks' daughter. in the contest. She talks about what it means to have her mother's name attached
3: to this event. It's really amazing and I'm so excited that Illinois Humanities has brought this back. When my mother was named the Poet Laureate she asked uh, Governor Kerner at the time uh, what her responsibilities would be and he said that they were commensurate with her pay which was nothing and so that's not who my mother was and so she came up with the idea of having a contest for young people all over the state, and she is the person that judged the poems at the time, and she paid the uh, the, uh, the awards out of her own pocket, and they range sometimes from 10 to 40 winners sometimes mm-hmm. when she just couldn't say no to extra wonderful people, <laughs> and so it's it's been a wonderful opportunity to give young people an opportunity to have their thoughts heard and for us to learn what's going on in their heads.
0: And why was it so important to her to really nurture
3: that seed of creativity in young people? As I've said about anything where people are talking about honoring my mother, if it's anything long-term, if young people aren't involved, then it's not about Gwendolyn Brooks because she was deeply committed to making art live in all of its forms and ages, but particularly young people. We used to call her Our Lady of the Open Mouth because (laughs) she would go around to different schools and so forth and say... I'll have a poetry contest here, and just on the spur, she, after listening to some of the poems that people that had written, she would immediately start creating uh, a contest and writing out checks for awards. You know, so it was always something that she loved listening to students, and they would come up to her by the bundle and just talk. To her and stuff, and it was just a major, major part of how she saw her life on this Earth.: You, know, Gabrielle, talk a little bit more
0: about the resources it takes to get kids interested and young people interested in poetry.
4: They're already interested. So it's more about the adults organizing themselves to create the public forum. And I think that's one of the things that we find very compelling at Illinois Humanities is really the opportunity to make room, to intentionally craft space for young people to submit what they're already thinking about, what they're already writing. Maybe they didn't even think of themselves as a poet, but they're scribbling notes down during some class or they're listening to a musical piece and it's inspiring them. So for us... We really need to be organized. We get the word out in the beginning of the year and usually open up uh, calls for submissions by April. This year we reached young people in 14 of our 100-plus counties. We're really excited to kind of expand that. The other thing is um, this moment where young people name what's around them. That's really the, the precursor, the observation, whether it's the kindergartner who wants a cat As was one of the poems, or whether it's the senior graduating from high school who's um, finding words to kind of express their identity and the way that identity is in conflict with the community around them, you know, they're naming what they see giving the language and helping us understand them, but also understanding ourselves. That is what the humanities is about. So again, it's a privilege for us to to host and organize, but mostly it's about creating a public for what young people are already thinking, saying, and observing.
0: Well, we were, had another poet on the show recently, and we were talking about how poetry is just ingrained in, in the games we play even as kids. You know, you have certain chants you do when you're jumping rope or, or different things, but then when it gets called poetry, the sometimes this distance gets inserted between young people and and the art form. And and I wonder for you, Nora, what is it like to see you know, young people just really dive into this world, especially considering how much your mother was, was committed to s- helping them see that connection.
3: Uh, it's exciting. Every year I go back and it's it's a, it's a renewal of spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, in uh, Seasons of uh, Gwendolyn Brooks Experience, a book that we put together of my mother's poetry, memories of her, all these different kinds of things, she also had tips for writing. A short one, if I may, sure. speaks exactly to this program. And that was that poetry has a future. You may initiate new forms. You may create. You do not have to consider that everything has been done. You do not have to write sonnets, villanelles, heroic couplets, haiku, tanka, simply because centuries of poets have written such. Dare to invent something. Understand that somebody invented the sonnet. Understand the day before the sonnet was invented, there was No sonnet. And I think that speaks to what's happening with uh, the Gwendolyn Brooks Youth Poetry Awards that there are new ideas, new forms, new messages, and it's something that's just critical to all of us hearing and understanding. And I want to bring another voice into this conversation. We have
0: Annika Fister. She's a rising 12th grader at Lane Tech, and she was one of the students honored on Saturday for her work. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So first of all, congratulations. Thank
1: you. And you wrote
0: a poem called Mama Loves You. Can you just tell us about the story behind the poem?
1: It was about my grandmother on my mother's side, my black side, and about my experiences as a child, kind of living in that love that she provided for me and how that shifted over My growing up.
0: (laughs) We'd love to hear it if you would read it for us.
1: Totally, totally. Uh, This is called Mama Loves You. Mama loves you, baby girl. Mama loved you since you first nibbled on her knuckles. Love, bite, she said, and gave you red lipstick smooches smothered all across your cheeks. Big-headed baby scissor hand, she knew you grabbed her flab so hard that black turned to blue because you never want to let go of Mama's love handles. Never. Mama's big hips could bounce back and forth to D'Angelo and Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson back when he was black and handsome, to biscuits browned and beans turned to proper green. Mama always kept you well-fed. So well that before dinner, in your head were ways to say no thank you, ma'am, to her wrinkled chestnut hands, to make the plate she held sink back to the table. Mama woke up early for you. While you pulled on your pants, she fried eggs and brown bread so you could eat on the way to get your Jesus on. Mama insisted on bowling while you were in town almost as much as she insisted on your black excellence. Her fingernails accidentally scratched confidence into your skin that spread through your body like the way Mama bragged about you to her sister. Mama stays seated nowadays. She only needs a couch and a drink nowadays and her TV, a 2003 flat screen and the oven, sticky stiff buttons she doesn't bother with nowadays. But Mama still loves you. When you're in town, she bathes every day and puts on a wig and lipstick to pull your face down and smother you with her freshly baked kisses.
0: That was lovely. That's Annika Fister. She was one of the student honorees this weekend with her poem, Mama Loves You. What you write about there is something I think a lot of us feel deeply, and it's this level of unconditional love that takes its shape in so many ways, some physical, some emotional just talk about the process of capturing this relationship between you and your grandmother in a poem.
1: I um, sat down with a line. It was, Mama loves you. I was like, yes, Mama loves you. Because whenever I go over to my grandmother's house, regardless of what she's wearing or what the house looks like or what's been going on, um, she always says, Mama, I love you. You know. Um, so it was just capturing that, sitting down and being like, how do I kind of put this onto the page? What does she do? What does she cook? Yeah.
0: Have you shared it with her?
1: No, not yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling she's going to have a very positive reaction to that poem. <laughs> I, I want to get your reaction, Nora, I mean, to, you know, when you hear a student like Annika and you hear, I mean, just really this lovely, um, visceral response that I'm having <laughs> to her poem. I mean, what, is, what does that feel like for you to know that, that there's this kind of talent and this kind of connection to poetry?
3: Well, the first response is, yay! <laughs> uh, because it's it's just so important um i think that what we the not the not children the not teens can can do is to just provide more and more opportunities for uh for younger people to be to be heard and to understand and for them to understand you know that they that we that we are listening and we're providing the opportunities that make their artistic work stronger. I have a very serious position on the fact that I consider that as parents, not encouraging your children to read and write is a separate form of child abuse. And I think that it is critical that that, that, that nest is provided for them to be warm and grow in. Speaking of creative
0: Chicagoans like Annika here, Gabrielle Illinois Humanities has just opened a three-month-long exhibit called Envisioning Justice, and I want you to tell us about that.
4: Uh, Thank you. Well, you know, there's actually a great connection between the Youth Poetry Awards and Envisioning Justice, which is some of the winners in this year's Youth Poetry Awards are young people who are in the Juvenile Temporary Detention Center, and their work is also on display in this exhibition. So, Envisioning Justice is a two year initiative um, launched by Illinois Humanities to really harness exactly this kind of hope and belief in the power of arts and humanities. We've been working with seven community organizations across the city for two years. They've been working with young people, writing, creating, making, and we've captured some of that in a 10,000 square foot exhibit um, at Sullivan Galleries. And it's not just exhibitions. It's not just art for art's sake. It's really challenging everyone to ask, how do you imagine justice? And we've got a whole lineup of public free programs. The exhibition is free. It's right in line with what Chicago public school teachers need to do if they're looking for civic engagement. But most importantly, it's really calling on us to be creators and owners of our own justice together. That's Illinois Humanities Executive Director, Gabrielle Lyon. Also with
0: us this morning, Nora Brooks-Blakely, the daughter of poet Gwendolyn Brooks, and Lane Tech rising senior Annika Fister, one of the student honorees this weekend. Gabrielle, Nora, Annika, thanks so much for stopping by. And again, congratulations. Thank
4: you. Thank you, Thank you very much.
0: And that's it for today's Morning Shift. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and tell your friends about us. We're here with great conversations about Chicagoland six days a week. Sign up wherever you get your podcasts or tell your smart speaker to play the Morning Shift podcast.